Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back, guys. On today's show, we chat with Elise, a midwife and co-founder of Shine Postnatal Services, about her two hospital births. Diagnosed with PCOS, it took two years and a major lifestyle change to conceive their first child. Elise chose to have a social induction at 39 weeks using Prostin gel and was lucky enough to have the water birth she desired with no other interventions. During her second pregnancy, a cholestasis diagnosis heavily influenced her decision to be induced at 37 plus 6 weeks, and again, she went on to have another beautiful water birth. Enjoy this episode, guys. Hi, Elise. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Do you want to just quickly tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am living on the beautiful Sunshine Coast in Queensland and I live with my husband and our two children uh, who are six and nearly four and I am a midwife. Oh, awesome. And do you work in a hospital? No, I'm not working in the hospital this year, so I'm nearly qualified um, and I am providing education through my business that I co-own, so I do antenatal education and we're also going to be launching some online education too. Amazing. And we do um, home delivery of food and cleaning services and massage and postnatal massage. So, wow. yeah, lots going on in our little business. So it's more holistic midwifery care. Oh, how fantastic. I'll share all of those um, details in the show notes for anyone that's interested. Yeah. Did you plan your pregnancies? We did. So our first child, we actually struggled to fall pregnant. I got diagnosed with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, when I was 22. Um, And my husband and I have been together since we were 16. So we knew that we wanted to have a family sort of earlier on in our relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got that diagnosis. And then from that point, it took us two years to fall pregnant with Mm -hmm. him. So we had to do some uh, different things, lifestyle changes mostly. Um, and I did get 
given a script for Clomid, which I didn't end up needing. We fell pregnant um, naturally after all the things that we had done, which was amazing. Yeah, okay. And then we were quite lucky pregnant the second time quickly. Yeah. Do you mind sharing some of the things that you did to get your body ready for conception? Uh, so it was actually quite intense. I, okay. I um, realized that my diet was really poor. I don't fit the usual description for PCOS. Um, usually women are quite larger with PCOS um, okay. and have a lot of facial hair or body hair um, and things like that. And that just wasn't me. So I fit the description because I had cysts on my ovaries and I had irregular periods and some of my blood tests that came back just you need two out of those three to have that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I basically changed my my eating really and I reduced my stress. So I went and saw a naturopath and she put me on a, a diet as such. It wasn't so much, um, it was more an eating plan. So reducing sugar, which was a huge one. Yeah. I didn't realize how much sugar was in the food that I was eating I thought I was quite healthy Um, so really pairing back on that and the carbs that I was ingesting as well uh, and reducing stress so I stepped down from my manager position at work and just really focused on some yoga and meditation and yeah that ended up helping us two two years down the track and yeah, we feel pregnant. Mm, stress is such a big one, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. It really is. And I didn't realize how much stress I, I was taking on. And obviously then being told that I could have fertility issues, that was just another stress on top of my yeah. day-to-day stress. So mm. it really does consume you and you really have to take a step back and say, okay, what can I eliminate from my life that isn't serving me anymore? Yeah. And, yeah, that's what it is. And how was your pregnancy? My first pregnancy was amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved being pregnant. I had minimal, um, yeah, minimal sickness, and um, yeah, it was a really easy pregnancy. Yeah, um, and second time around, not so much, but we might get into that a little <laughs> bit later. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed being pregnant the first time, um, and then I was induced at 39 weeks with my first yeah okay and was that a planned induction (laughs) it was um so they call it they used to call it social induction and at the time I mean knowing what I know now as a midwife I it's hard to say because I had a really positive induction experience Mm -hmm. but I I don't know whether I would have chosen to do it again um I did have an induction the second time around but that was for a medical reason um so yeah first time around was still really positive it is based on the arrive trial which is a research paper that explains women that are low risk first time mums having an induction at 39 weeks actually reduces your chance of having a cesarean section um so as far as i'm aware the research doesn't go into any other kind of um i guess what could happen after you have an induction. So any kind of risks in terms of whether you end up with an instrumental birth because we know that inductions also lead to um, a higher risk of having instrumental births and PPH. And there's a whole lot of things that I don't feel were explained to me at the time. And I went in um, a little bit with my blinders on and just said, yep, and really trusted that my obstetrician knew that 
what was best for me basically and I'm just very lucky that it was a positive experience because it could have gone a completely different way which Mm. I now know I firsthand by seeing as a midwife yeah and what induction method did you end up choosing so I was really lucky in that all I needed was prostin gels so there's two ways that they can sort of get you started um the balloon catheter or prostin gel and I had two applications of that um within six hours and that's just applied straight to your cervix right yeah 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 yes that's basically what they do is um, yeah, just pop it onto your cervix, and then that's with the and you're put on a CTG machine as well, just to monitor because there is a risk that baby will go into fetal distress with it. Same with any kind of induction method. Mm-hmm. Um, so popped a little bit of gel in, monitored me. He came back about six hours later, my obstetrician, and did another vaginal examination and did a second lot. And then probably about three hours or four hours after that, I went into labor. Um, so the next part of that process, I wasn't really aware of, but he would have come back the next morning to break my waters and then they'd start the syntocin and drip. Um, but yeah, luckily I avoided all of that. Yeah, so lucky. Do you want to take us to that first sign of labor progressing? Yeah, so it was about 11 o'clock at night and we would recommended that we just get some rest um, and I went to bed and woke up and just felt a little bit of niggling going on and thought, okay, this might be the start of labor. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't get back to sleep, so I just sort of stayed active. So we were on the postnatal ward. We weren't discharged sometimes when you have a balloon catheter um, hospitals will discharge you you can go home but um, that wasn't the plan for me so I was on the postnatal ward just sort of laboring in our room just being really active using the um, the ball hopping in and out of the shower and I managed really quite well for first time um, labor I hadn't done any kind of education because I felt I knew everything <laughs> um, which I just certainly didn't so shower was my best friend and it, yeah, I just slept in the room for a couple of hours and then we went across to birth suite and I really wanted to have a water birth. So uh, the midwife checked me and I was about seven centimetres. So depending on what hospital you're birthing at, they, um, they might have some policies around when they recommend you to hop in the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my hospital was that you were seven centimetres. So that um, allowed me to hop in and that was just so amazing hopping in the water. It was such a huge relief and I just felt I had, um, I was able to labour better in the bath and I just had, um, yeah, I guess more, more energy after I hopped in because it was just that weightlessness and it just gave me, um, yeah, kick that I needed to continue on with labor yeah it was I'm such a huge advocate for water I really think Mm -hmm. it can be underestimated just how relaxing it can be and just that weightlessness um yeah it was just amazing so I used gas and air in the bath which I found kind of made me really groggy Mm -hmm. and I don't remember a lot 
of my labor from that point onwards. Um, I just felt quite out of it. So I stopped using that once I got to pushing stage. Yeah. Um, and I did push for close to two hours. Okay. And I remember the midwife saying to my obstetrician, um, she's not pushing right. We're going to have to get her out of the bath. And I thought, mm. dare you? I, I'm pushing. I yeah. feel something happening. And was that your body naturally pushing? Yeah. No, it was um, definitely just following my body's urges. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that was a tactic for her to make me get a little bit mad and yeah. just go, no, I can, I can do this. They do that. But whatever her um, tactic was with that, it made me. Um, push a little bit harder and I ended up getting him out after the the next contraction and he mm-hmm. was when he was born I remember just seeing him floating in the water and they had to remind me to pick him up and put him on oh. my chest <laughs> I, I thought it was all over then it was just like oh I'm done like no you need to grab your baby now <laughs> so he was I brought him up onto my chest and we didn't know what what we were having. So that was a really nice Mm. moment to find out that it was a little boy when I thought it was a girl. So that was really sweet. Mm. And, um, yeah, I had minimal bleeding, didn't tear, which is also why I'm a huge advocate for water birth, just through my own experiences of not tearing either time. Um, Not that there's too much research to support that, but, I mean, if – if you're wanting to avoid it, it can't hurt. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? The water softening everything. It does. Yeah, so um, really positive experience with his birth. And uh, I love that moment of, as a midwife, seeing women so proud of themselves and just knowing that they can do anything. And I remember feeling that just like, oh, my God, I wanted to shout it from the rooftop. Like, I just had a baby. Like, I have a superpower. This is incredible. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, I think the start of where my love for birth came. And from that point onwards, I became birth obsessed. And <laughs> it led me down the road to becoming a midwife, I think. Yeah, how amazing. And did you plan your next pregnancy? Because there's not much of an age gap, is there? Yeah, we did. Because we didn't know how long it was going to take um we didn't want a a big age gap so we did we did plan um her pregnancy and it was probably three three cycles of trying okay we felt pregnant with her so yeah going from two years to three months Mm. was a huge shock and yeah we were really really happy about it Mm. and you said that pregnancy was a bit more challenging yeah, so initially it started off the same um, and I really enjoyed being pregnant again. A um, little bit harder, obviously, when you've got a toddler and you can't go off and have a nap yeah. and <laughs> put <laughs> so your feet true. up when you, when you sort of wanted to. But it got to 34 weeks and I got really uh, unwell just with a cold and as it does, it goes straight to your chest and um, I really struggled being sick and then it felt like it was just one thing after another I got diagnosed with cholestasis at 36 weeks wow. and that was awful I would not wish that upon yeah, anybody you poor thing another woman I interviewed was actually diagnosed with that as well could you just explain what it is though for the people that don't know yeah so cholestasis is um, in pregnancy a buildup of bile in the liver mm-hmm. so 
yeah, it's its major symptom is being really itchy. Mm-hmm. And when you say that to people, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, had an itchy bite type of thing. Like, yeah, it sucks, but it is an internal itch, which you really can't describe unless you've had it before. Mm-hmm. It isn't relieved by scratching. There's some medication that can be um, prescribed, but I had some to help me sleep and it just made me completely groggy and out of it and I didn't think it was safe for me to use while I'm parenting a two-year-old so I chose not to have that Um, but yeah it was just awful and it is more common for it to be on your hands and your feet but I got it all over my body so it's also worse at night I was up all night scratching and this is when it was summer as well or just after summer so it was still really hot I was sleeping out on the tiles because I just couldn't get comfortable oh, poor thing so so bad do they know if it's caused by something in particular or is it like a genetic thing or um I don't know whether they there's not that much research um surrounding but I think it's something linked to hormonal changes and also it can be genetic mm-hmm. um but as far as I know, nobody in my family has had it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's just one of those things. And if I was to um, be pregnant again, my chances of having it, uh, I think it's like 60 to 80%. So oh, it's yeah. still really high. Yeah. So basically, once the placenta is born, that's when you uh, start to <laughs> have some relief. Mm, so, poor thing. Yes, it was not fun. So I was induced for that. Right, yeah. Um, and similar experience although I I think I had always had the plan to be induced at 39 weeks again but um, then I was diagnosed with this and we pushed that forward because I had gone on to Google as you do I don't recommend doing that but I obviously found out that my risk of stillbirth was increased with this and I just had a gut feeling that I I needed to get her out sooner rather than later so Mm -hmm. I went to my obstetrician and I said, I'm not happy to wait to 39 weeks. Can we do this a bit earlier? And then I was booked in for 37 plus 6. I went in for my induction. Okay. And same induction process? Yeah, so same induction process, um, but I didn't need two lots. So for a first-time mum, they usually recommend two doses of the prostin, but having had a baby before, he was hopeful that I'd just need the one. Uh, so after I had one at seven o'clock at night, I went into labor pretty much immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just really, um, like niggly sort of Braxton Hicks type, type, uh, contractions, but then they just kept increasing and I thought, oh, okay, well, obviously this has worked a lot quicker than the first time. Mm -hmm. And I love being in labor with her. Loved it. I think having had a baby already, I knew what to expect and I just let myself go with it and just really enjoyed the whole process. And Sorry, can we just backtrack a little bit? No, no. Is there any extra education or anything that you did differently for this birth that you didn't do with your first birth? Yeah, I didn't go and do too much more education. I think it was honestly the, the experience for me. Yeah, I just okay. really trusted that my body could do it um I think that as well as a bit of a mind um 
what would you call it, mindset shift. I just changed kind of negativity that I had, I guess, in the first birth of not knowing what was normal and needing a little more reassurance about things. Mm-hmm. I just changed that into I can do this. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is normal. I'm safe. Um, and just don't fight the contractions. Just really feel into them and it really does change. Yeah. the way that you labor and um if you're telling yourself that you're safe and this is normal and this is what needs to happen for you to bring your baby into the world I think that can be really a really great strategy to use 100%. in labor I didn't yeah. find the contractions painful the second time around I don't know mm-hmm. why um but I just was hopping in and out of the shower my husband was just watching Netflix <laughs> in the um next to the bed and like I didn't need him for anything the first time around I needed a bit more support and just for him to reassure me but second time around I was like I don't need you I'm just going to be going in and out of the shower I'll let you know if I need a hand but you're good you just <laughs> like chill out and watch a movie I really don't care <laughs> I've got this um, what model of care did you choose as well were you public or private private yeah so okay. I yeah, I saw my obstetrician because he was also my gynecologist when I was diagnosed with the PCOS. So that was really nice continuity of care. Yeah. So you were in and out of the shower laboring? Yeah. So that was basically what I did the whole time. Um, and then I came out of the shower and just started sort of swaying on the bench and using the, the birth ball as well. And I remember saying to my husband, oh, I don't think our friend is going to make it. She was my birth photographer mm-hmm. and she had to start work at, I think it was 8.30 and this was 5.30 in the morning. I was like, I don't think this baby's coming before um, before she has to go to work. And the midwife came in and said, oh, your obstetrician's just called. He's just gone for a bike ride. Just wanted to check in to see if you were close to having this baby. And I think might have a couple more hours up our sleeve and I said I said yeah I don't think my contractions are close enough together like I'm feeling um now's not the time she walked away and about half an hour later I just felt this massive pop and it stopped my contraction and I thought oh my god what has gone on here it didn't feel like my waters broke I didn't feel anything and I just thought oh my god like something's broken in me (laughs) I don't know what that was and then I had a big gush of water and I was like, okay, we're on, get that bath filled up. So I didn't want to hop in until I was further along because I knew that sometimes it could slow things down. Yeah. So, yeah, she, the midwife came back and said, oh, my God, I'm going to have to let your obstetrician know and he's going to have to short, uh, cut his bike ride short. I said, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Call him. She filled up the bath and I was um, – just in my bra and I'd taken my pants off and I was ready to walk over to the birth suite and she's like, you're going to have to put some pants on and put some clothes on. We can't walk from the postnatal ward to the birth suite with no clothes. Oh, of course. I was like, oh, that's right. I, I don't have any clothes on. Mm-hmm. I think you're just so like I was in, in the zone. Yeah. Had no idea. Pretty much naked. I didn't, I wouldn't have cared either walking from one room to another being naked. Yeah, exactly. Um, hopped in the bath. My friend, my husband called my friend as we were walking over. She arrived about 15 minutes later and I think it was about 
an hour from the time my waters broke to when she was born. So oh, wow. that was really quick. Mm. Um, but she was born with the cord wrapped quite tightly around her neck. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't realise that the cord was wrapped around her neck. Um, but I could feel her once her head was born. I could feel her jolting inside me, if that makes sense. Mm. So she was like almost trying to get the cord off her neck um, and that's really painful and uncomfortable and it took quite a while for my next contraction to come for her body to be born Mm -hmm. and she was pulled up onto my chest and she was completely limp and I mean I don't want to scare any listeners because a cord wrapped around the neck is quite common one in three babies um, are born with the cord wrapped around their neck Um, but hers was quite a few times and quite tight. And I think in conjunction with the next contraction taking a little longer, mm-hmm. she was quite stunned when she was born. Mm-hmm. Um, so they cut the cord quite quickly and took her from me and just gave her some stimulation. And luckily enough that um, that was all she needed. Mm-hmm. Um, she was brought over to me once I had hopped out of the bath but she struggled to breathe after that and I just remember saying to my midwife, I don't think something's wrong. I don't think she's breathing properly and she was really reassuring at the time and she's like, no, she's okay. Like being skin to skin is the best thing for her. Just we'll Mm. see how she goes. And it was just that motherly instinct of like, oh, no, something's not not right so I got her back over and she had a listen and they ended up admitting her to NICU and she was okay she ended up spending 24 hours um over there and yeah she was fine after that but I had since learnt that cholestasis can actually contribute to babies having some respiratory issues Mm -hmm. um so I think it just goes back to knowledge is power doesn't it if I knew things and if maybe I'd educated myself a little bit more or my obstetrician had explained a couple of things to me prior to the birth then maybe it wouldn't have been as scary and as shocking Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I'm definitely a huge advocate now for education around um, all of these things if you're diagnosed with something always do your own research it's good to take the advice and recommendations from your healthcare provider providers but I think we have to take accountability for uh, the education that we provide ourselves as well yeah absolutely and if you were to go back for baby number three is there anything you would do differently that time around um if I wasn't a midwife I would definitely say education but I think having done a degree since having both the kids I feel pretty well informed mm-hmm. now um but maybe a change of model of care, and I mean that would be dependent on whether I was considered high risk if I ended up um, having cholestasis again. But I think I still was able to have continuity of care with my obstetrician, which I think is the best thing. Mm-hmm. But we also know midwifery care is the gold standard, and I would love to be a part of that model of care now being a midwife myself just to see the difference as well. Yeah, I'd love to have a home but that would not happen with cholestasis (laughs) for an induct. What key piece of advice would you give to any expectant mothers out there? 
Um, I have a couple. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about with your mindset. And I think yeah. education is really, really important, um, but also doing the work on how you view birth um, and really challenging yourself when it comes to, say, you were given some kind of diagnosis on preeclampsia or you've um, got gestational diabetes or cholestasis or you're having to be induced for some reason, just changing any kind of negativity into something positive and it's actually quite powerful how strong your mind is Mm. and if you tell yourself that you're amazing, you can do this, you're strong and just changing the way that you might view birth I think is really powerful and shouldn't be underestimated. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other big one is planning for postpartum and that's the major um, reason we started our business. Postpartum's so forgotten about and it's so important and I think, um, yeah, we often feel quite lonely in postpartum and I think if you can think about it and plan for it before baby arrives, so whether that's getting some support from family and friends to cook some food or come and help out with the other siblings or Mm. uh, just knowing different numbers for healthcare professionals if you need to see a lactation consultant for whatever reason or a psychologist and just having a, a plan in place for um, postpartum I think is really valuable mm-hmm. because we don't have that many checkups with our healthcare providers after you have a baby. We see a lot of um, uh, midwives or GPs or obstetricians in pregnancy and then you only get a couple, if that, after you have a baby. Mm. So making sure that you're really Great advice. Thank you so much, Elise, for coming on today and sharing your journey with us. I'll share all of your info in the show notes for anyone interested. And who knows, maybe someone listening will have you as a midwife one day. (laughs) (laughs) One day, one day. To become endorsed to be a private midwife, you've got to do a whole nother lot of training. We've got to have 5,000 another prescription course. And yeah, it's involved. Yeah. Well, maybe in a few more years then. A few more years. I can be a second midwife, <laughs> oh, which okay. I can just be there at the birth, but I can't be a primary care provider, unfortunately. Mm, still such a beautiful career path to take. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's um, been amazing and I feel so lucky that I get to meet so many like-minded people and it's been a great little journey the last yeah. couple of years. Thank you so much, Elise. Thank you for having me. That brings us to the end of the show, guys. I hope Elisa's story is useful for any of the mamas out there that are needing or choosing an induction. It's not often we hear induction stories that end in just one intervention, so please do your research and get fully informed on all the potential risks involved that are individualized to you specifically. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Let me know what you think over on the PBA Instagram, and I'll see you next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia. Bye.